You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. How's everyone today? My name is Jeff Rickett. I'm the, serving as an interim pastor for Nielsville for a time, so it's good to be here. We could uh, welcome you this Memorial Day weekend. It's been a blessing to, so far to, to worship with you. As you know, I like songs the last two weeks. I've been sharing different types of songs. Last week we talked about Tina Turner Turner, and about what's love got to do with it. Uh, This morning we have an oldie but goodie by the Beatles, Um, All You Need Is Love. And for the sake of me singing it, because um, Stephen wouldn't want me to sing, um, we're going to have it sung by the Beatles via video. So if we can have that. And as you listen to this song, we're going to sh- just a few verses of it. Look how the love that they're describing is a catalyst to help others become what they're meant to be. I know, I might have to sing. Are they going to make me sing? Uh oh. Okay. No problem. Wait, he's going to try something. Ah, they're going to put a mic to it. Sorry about it. Suspense is killing you, right? It's kind (laughs) of... What's that? We can can all sing it, too. That's true. (laughs) You can can lead it. Sorry for this delay. We can just go on. No biggie. Okay, we're going to go. So, love, 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 love. Much better Beatles than what I just did. There's nothing you can do but that can't be done. There's nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Nothing you can say but can learn how to play the game. It's easy. There's nothing you can make that can't be made. No one who can save that can't be saved. Nothing you can do, but you can learn how to be you. In time, it's easy. All you need is love. Dun da 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 da. All you need is love. Dun da 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 da. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. Awesome. Good job, guys. Well done. Well, in this passage, John again reminds us about love. Last week we talked about love. This week, John, again, is hammering on to his church and God to us that our, who we are to be about is about love. And as we learn to love as God loves us, we help one another become and be the children of God. So pay attention carefully as I read from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God, and knows God. Anyone, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that you might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. 
If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Let's pray. Father, again we come to this word, and we see the, the workings of the Father and the Son and the Spirit working together to confirm and to empower and to remind us of the importance to love as you, is love, as you are love. So God, I pray that as we gather around this passage this morning, that you would encourage us, that you would even convict us, that you would change us by your spirit to love more and more as God loves us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Chatel was asked by a mediator if she wanted to seek forgiveness and reconciliation with a man who killed her father. Chantel was a Tutsi, and the man who killed her father was a Hutu. There was a long duration in Awanda of strife and conflict, hate, ethnic pride, and racism among the Hutus and the Tutsis. It finally came to a head in 1994 when the Hutus massacred over 500,000, at least 500,000 Tutsis. Finally, it came to an end, and many Hutus were sent to prison as a result of this genocide. Here we are, a nation, Awanda, in pain, suffering, relationships broken, neighbor against neighbor. How will they learn to heal? How will they learn to love again one another? Well, this was put to a test. In 2003, the president of Awanda, a Tutsi, signed a release of prisoners who were ill or who confessed to their crimes of killing to help with overcrowding, but also to the start of the process of reconciliation. This president had a desire to see the Hutus and the Tutsis reconciled. But can you imagine when 40,000 prisoners were released, the fears, the arranging emotions of those affected by the genocide, immense, must, they must have felt deeply, deeply concerned. Well, during this reconciliation process, a Christian mediator, Pascal, approached Chantel. Now, what complicated the story was that John, the one who murdered her father, was a neighbor. In fact, her father and John were good friends. They would socialized together. They would go out and drink beers together. In fact, John himself helped pay for Chantel's confirmation party. But now she's faced with now this man who killed her father. She's been trying to come to terms with this for, for many years, and she struggled with this senseless death. And now she's faced with this challenge. Will she show forgiveness 
and reconciliation to a man who murdered her father. In fact, once John came into the town, she did not even want to see him again. In fact, when she saw him on the streets, she would actively avoid him. Do you blame her? The story confronts us, does it not? Could we offer love to someone in this way? Someone who took someone away from you. In many ways, love is hard. As I text this week or last week, Brian, any, good, any news on a particular thing we were looking for news for? And he said, there's um, no news on what I was looking for, but there's a lot of news, but not all, and that's all bad news. Right, we read in the stories in the news, right, another shooting in a high school. Young kids and teachers killed. Bullying in schools, betrayal in marriages, domestic abuse in households, brother killing brother, parent killing children. We look at the, that seems to be a rise of racism and prejudice, even in our town, Howard County, in a, in a very upscale community where four white students defiled the school property with hate, speeches of hate. We see past and current national leaders who physically, emotionally harm and kill those who disagree with them. We don't see many examples of love. Even if we evaluate the history of the church, the Crusades, we have failed to love well, to love as God intended for us to love. Now, these examples are extreme, I know, and so I want to personalize it for us. Because if we actually look how well we are loving in our relationships, we see that we often fail to love as well. The rude comment muddled under my breath when one cuts in line in the grocery store. The disrespectful comment that we say to our spouse. The harsh words that we say to our child. The self-righteous attitude or thought that I have about another Christian. The condemning look that you may have for someone who smokes or have tattoos like Andy. You can smile. You can laugh. I love Andy. I even love his tattoos. <laughs> right? The better than I am than coworker attitude at work. The making fun of someone in youth group or talking behind him or her behind their backs. The challenge of gossip. The indifference to someone in emotional pain, or the impatience with people who are slow to change. There is a list of accusations. These are just some that can be charged against you and me and our failure to love in our relationships at home, at work, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, and in our church. Relationships are messy. They're difficult, are they not? We, we really try to love people, but we keep failing again and again due to our own selfish, protective, self-protecting ways. Is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for you? Can we love the way that John here in this passage describes how to love? What will help us grow from the selfishness in our relationships to really love more and more like God loves us? But John must have hope because he again encourages the church. He reminds the church that even when our relationships are hard and messy and difficult, we can, we must love like God loves us. So what do we need to understand in this passage? I want us to focus on, in details, this love 
that God, John is talking about. And we're going to look at the origins of love, the effects of love, the goal of love, the means of love, and the warnings of love. If you have your bulletin, there, there is an outline there for you in your bulletins. First, the origin of love. Verse 7. Again, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. God reminds us that we should love because God, that love is from God. In fact, it's to be sought, it's to be nurtured, it's to be protected simply by the virtue of its inherent God-rootedness. You see, love is God's primary attribute. It's based on his very nature. His love is in his most innermost being. So it goes something like this. All his activity is loving activity. If he judges, he judges in love. If he commands, he commands in love. If he disciplines, he disciplines in love. If he encourages, he encourages in love. In his holiness, he is love. In his grace, he is love. In all his characteristics, he is love. I like how one has said it. Far from condoning sin, his love has found a way to expose it because he is light and to consume it because he is fire without destroying the sinner but saving him. See, his love doesn't destroy the sinner but saves him by exposing it and consuming it. You see, his love is to be the most cherished attribute among those who call themselves followers of Jesus, those who are his children. So since God is love and shows love both to believer and non-believer, it is a non-negotiable necessity for those who are called God's children, John is reminding them. In fact, John Calvin, the, one of the reformers of many, many centuries ago, says this, if anyone separates faith from love, if anyone separates faith in Christ from love, it is, it is as if we were trying to take heat from the sun. Right? That's impossible. Because of God's love, it, is, it takes effect. And that's our second thing I want us to realize about love. The effects of, of God's love is in the latter part of verse 7. Again, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves, what does it say? Has been born of God and knows God. See, we pursue it. We pursue love. We cherish love. We love because we've been given a spiritual rebirth. The one who loves has been born of God, right? We were dead to the possibility to love like God loved. Now we've been, we've been given a new nature. We've been given a new life. And this rebirth now gives us a possibility to truly love like God, to truly love like his son, Jesus Christ. See, God, through the Spirit, brings about this rebirth. And only, and only those given this birth can love like God loves. It is distinct from our human attempts to love. See, to love as God loves and confirms our faith in Jesus. It confirms our fellowship with God. You see, love is a means of knowing God. See, the one who loves recognizes his need of God, recognizes God and all that he says that he is. See, we can love God and others because we have this new nature. We have this new life where love takes center stage. Love takes center stage. The origin of God's love is God himself. The effects of God's love 
is that we are made new to love like God loves. Now we see in verse 9 the goal of God's love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. See, God's goal of his love for us is that we might live through him. To live in the full God-enabled sense is to love as God commands and deserves. Let me say it this way. For a Christian, to love, um, to live is to love. To live is to love. God's very purpose in sending his son, his beloved son, into the world was to bring about this God-given life of regeneration so that we can love him and that we can love one another. See, the love of God, this agape love, this self-sacrificial love that even Annie was sharing to the kids is not a sentimental human type of love. It is, it is the seeking of another's good for at one's own cost. That is what God did in sending his son, right? It took his, his, the father, it cost him greatly to see his son killed for you and for me so that we can have eternal life with him. And it's love shown in his incarnation, Jesus' incarnation, right? He was made manifest among us. See, it's in found in trusting the exclusivity and uniqueness of God's son, Jesus. That is one, why one has said this, the major purpose behind God sending his son into the world is so that through faith in Christ, people might receive life that produces love. And even as this is happening, the world will publicly see the radical nature of God's love being expressed in and through us. The origin is God. The effect is that we've been given new birth to enable to love. The goal is to, to live life through him. The means is the next part. And we see that in verse 10. And this is love, John reminds us. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son, this big word, to be the propitiation for our sins. What is John saying? He's saying, first of all, this. It's not what people do for themselves. How could that be? When prior to receiving God's love in the gospel, we were separated. We were his enemies. Before becoming children of God, our human attempts of love were incomplete, incapable to love like God loves, like Jesus loves. So John is not talking about human love, but God, he's talking about God's love. See, human love is not the measure of what God is calling us to. It is God's love expressed in the divine act that establishes and sustains love. See, the self must look beyond itself in order to access divine love. It's not resting in your ability. It's not resting in your resolve. It's not resting in you trying harder to love. No, it's looking to God, crying out to God, and, give, and receiving the love that he has for us through Christ's sacrificial work. See, it's only through spiritual rebirth that people like us are infused with capabilities and the capacities that making loving people like God a possibility. See, the call to love one another is not about being nice, not about winning friends, 
and influencing people. Because nice really is, we're, we're trying to get something back when we're nice to someone. That is not the kind of love he's talking about here. John is calling us to a love grounded in God's perfection. When we love people, then we can love people in radical ways. Now, I'm not trying to discourage our human attempts to love, but God calls us to a higher plane and to be more godlike. See, we're to be radical in our love and showing grace and accepting and welcoming all kinds of people and dealing with sin and forgiving and in caring for others. Think about it. Isn't that the way Jesus is with us? In his life and in his death, as John reminds us again in this passage, we see the ultimate in in being radically loved. Look at verse 10 again, that last part. We need to always look at how God ultimately loved us. It says... This, this word propitiation is, reminding, is, is, is meaning this, that Jesus willingly and gladly took the holy wrath of God, took the judgment of God that we deserved, that Jesus took it on himself when he died on the cross for you and for me. See, there, there is unending resource for us to love. God's love is rooted not only in his incarnation, but in his crucifixion. Listen to carefully what I have to say here. Since Christ dealt with our sin on the cross, we are now free from our self-limitations and now empowered to love as we have been loved by God. And since we have received the benefit of Christ's propitiation, it makes possible love for God and obedience to his love command. You see, knowing God's love through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ infuses the believer with the capacity for love that enables us to extend ourselves openly and wisely to others. See, knowing God's love produces a cheerful generosity that touches all those around us. See, Christ's costly atonement uncaps an artisan well of selflessness in which believers find resources for sacrificial care for each other. Let me say that again. Christ's costly, bloody atonement uncaps an artisan well of selflessness in which the believers find resources for sacrificial care for each other. So how does that play out? What are some applications? Well, this means we love in ways that we don't normally love. We give ourselves to others even when it hurts. Last week we talked about getting being willing to have it financially hurt for us to give to someone who's in need. But it expands even more, right? Being tired, right, from a long days of work, wanting to go to bed, and one of your teenage children comes in at 11.30 and wants to talk. What does love look like there? Well, love looks like giving up your sleep to talk to your young, to your teenage child. Love also is going out of the way to show love. It it may even interfere with our schedules of the day. It may even convenience us to love. The caps are now in in the Stanley Cup. And you've been given tickets to go see some of the games. And you and your friends are going to one of the games. And your spouse calls you and says, I need help at home to care for one of your children. See, God's love is saying to that person who's going out with his friends to the caps games, I am going to give up that to be with my spouse to help that person take care of the kids. They do that willingly and gladly. I had more laughs the first service. But but that's love, right? To, To give up something that you're looking forward to for the benefit of another? 
That's cost. That's what we were talking about. It costs. Or when I don't want to show kindness to my children who disobey me, God's love makes it possible for me to speak with gentleness and with grace. Or when a person has cut us off, God enables us to refrain from calling him an idiot. (laughs) When another believer sins against you, God is giving you the resources not to judge or condemn that person, but humbly to confront him and to acknowledge your own struggles with sin. When attempted to gossip, maybe about someone in the church, God's love enables you to refrain from gossiping and maybe instead speak possibly positively about that person to others. Or when someone has betrayed you, you can seek God's help to love and forgiving and begin to seek reconciliation. Or when you've been offended by another, you can humbly speak the truth and love. Or when persecuted by another, you can actually pray for that person and not seek revenge. Or when abused, God's love can help you seek wise counsel, find a safe place, and then begin the time to heal, and then seek in due time the ability to forgive the one who sinned against you. Or when you have a friend who is about to make a horrible decision in their lives, you can go to that person in love and encourage that person to reconsider. These are just some examples of how God's love can radically move in us to to love in costly, radical ways. But there is a warning that John gives us. We see in verse 8, it says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. See, John is willing to take risks here with his church, with these people, with people that he greatly loved. See, love is not saying you don't speak hard things. But you say hard things and love, hard things that help them to see that they need to love. And that's what John's doing here. He's saying if you really know Christ, if you really put your faith in Christ, then you are to be loving as I love. If you have no desire to love other people, then you need to wonder, are you one who is a follower of Christ? He's not expecting us them to do it perfectly, but the question is, how are we moving towards loving like he loves us. See, having a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ actually actualizes a will to obey the love command and follow Christ's example. Paul himself says this, be imitators of God. He says this to the church in Ephesus. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let me share a couple personal experiences. During my high school years, my mom and dad's relationship had had intensified where they were struggling with trust, with disappointments, with feeling valued by one another. And when, when I went off to college, my mom's mentioned that she may be close to be leaving my father. She was ready to end the relationship. But something happened. When I went to college, I came to know Christ. I put my faith in Christ. And as a result of that work, God graciously worked in me and was able to influence my sister and my mom and eventually my dad to come to Christ. And as we came to Christ as a family, I began to see my parents 
because of love that they receive, to learn to learn to forgive and pursue reconciliation. And if you were here last week, you will see that now in July 8th, they will be married for 65 years. I say that because that is the power of this love that children of God have. That we can work through pain and mistrust and brokenness. Yeah, it is an amen to God be the glory. Another illustration, even in our own family. I have two wonderful women in my life. The other day, my daughter coming in from college, uh, she came to, you know, was talking, and she said, you know, Mom, when we used to not like each other? <laughs> you need to understand, my daughter and my wife are two different personalities. My daughter um, loves to engage conflict. My wife loves to flee conflict. And so, it doesn't always end up being a good situation at times. But what's so precious is to see how they, as they are both growing in their relationship with Christ, as they're both working through the fears that keep them from working actively with one another, they today have a precious, precious relationship, one that I would hold up to any daughter and mother relationship because of this perfecting love of God, which brings me to the last section, which I'll just talk about briefly, that that as I have seen the abiding and triumphant love of God, it can work out in relationships that are hard and messy. Because we all struggle, right, to love like God. But here in verses 11 through 18, we are reminded of this abiding of God's love and the triumph of God's love. This abiding of God's love, as you, as you read in this passage and look at that, it reminds us that this abiding is a work of the Spirit connected to Jesus. See, our love is only as good as what we're connected to. So think about it. I have a computer, and I have a three-prong outlet or a three-prong um, cord. Now, if I, if I plug it into a two-prong two outlet, what will happen? Will it work? No, it will not work, right? Well, think about that. See, our love is only as good to who we are connected to, right? Our loving others must be connected to the Holy Spirit, and into Christ. See, our God-like love resides there. See, the Holy Spirit's primary role is to, is to allow the love of Christ to ensure us and to equip us and to empower us to express this artisan well of sacrificial love for each other. John also reminds us of triumphal love. See, because of God's love in Christ, we don't need, listen, we do not need to fear punishment. God's punishment, or feel ashamed for his perfect love casts fear out. See, this kind of love is so comprehensive, so effectual, that it forcefully expels or throws out the dread of judgment on that last day. Because if you're in Christ, you do not need to fear judgment. You are secure today, as much as tomorrow and ten years later, of that, that Jesus took that judgment on your behalf. But to be honest, we do struggle with fears. And we need to be honest with the Lord with that, right? Because even Paul reminds us that, that, that we, not, we have not received the spirit of slavery to fear again, but we've received what? The spirit of sonship, of adoption, where we can cry out, Abba, Father. 
So John acknowledges that we struggle with fear, the fear of rejection, the fear of conflict, the fear of being known, the fear of letting go of control, the fear of uncertainty, the fear of being judged, the fear of being abandoned and alone, the fear of failure, the fear of not measuring up, the fear of sharing our feelings. But because believers, are, we have received God's sacrificial love, one has said this, we have arrived at a calm rest outside fear by being aware of God's love towards us. See, we can love freely, not out of fear of punishment or rejection, but because God's love has united us perfectly with Christ. So we can love even though we might face rejection, even though it might hurt. We can love not out of guilt or shame. We can love not to earn someone's favor or acceptance, but we can love freely and graciously knowing that we're already accepted and secure in Christ. So we don't need to hide in fear of God or his punishment because Christ has taken that for us. Remember Chantel from Rwanda when Pascal, the mediator, asked her to consider sharing radical love by offering forgiveness and reconciliation. By God's grace, by as she received God's love, she did just that. But listen to her honest prayer as she wrestled with that and as she probably continued to wrestle with how to love and reconcile with a guy who killed her father. She says this, a prayer that we all should be praying. God, I have no strength in me to forgive John. But you, O oh Lord, have the power to forgive. Give me the power to forgive. Or maybe we should say this, God, I have no strength in me, humanly, to love. But you, O oh Lord, have given me, yourself and your spirit, the power to love. Give me the power to love. May that be so for you and for me. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we'll never get it quite right until we're home in heaven with you. Only there will we be safe from damaging assault, uncorrupted by false values, entirely free to live by your design. But until then, God, you have made the provision for us to love, even in the middle of adversity, even in the middle of conflict, even in the middle of the mess. You quietly stir up us a hunger for love that is stronger than lust, Lord, empower us to pursue other people, even ones who mistreat us, in the strength of your forgiveness, in your restorative grace, and in your love. Amen.